there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Settle down, settle down. This meeting will now come to order. For how long now have we put up with the Blackfoot shenanigans at the end of the Roman line? Years! Too long! We've had enough! Who here's been robbed? Me! I have! We all have! They stole my horses! Who's been beaten? Attacked! Yes! Me! My brother! My uncle! Had his property destroyed! I have! My stagecoach! My barn! And will we, the members of the Bidolf Peace Society, tolerate it any longer? No! No, Never! Not anymore! Constable Carroll, what do you suggest we do? Well, boys, I think we go teach those Donnellys a lesson. Good idea! Yeah! Yeah, let's get them! Get them! Yeah! This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. You're listening to our first episode on the Black Donnellys. If you want to hear our investigation into other cold cases, you can listen, subscribe, and write reviews on your favorite podcast directory. You can also listen through our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. And I'm your other host, Carter Roy. If you like the show, we'd immensely appreciate if you leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, and on Twitter at ParCast Network. Today we begin our look at the Black Donnellys. The family of outlaws who met a gruesome end at the hands of an angry Canadian mob in the year 1880. In what came to be known as the Black Donnelly Massacre. And despite the direct eyewitness testimony of a survivor of that terrible night, no one was ever convicted of their murders. The Donnellys were rugged pioneers, fiercely loyal to one another, and never backed down from a fight. But there's an old Irish saying, he who keeps his tongue keeps his friends. 
Before they gained infamy as the Black Donnellys, the Donnellys were a family of Irish immigrants. Who arrived in Canada sometime between 1842 and 1846. The records are a little spotty. Well, that's because at the time, their part of southwestern Ontario was untamed frontier. Basically the Wild West. But colder. Johanna, just imagine. All this land cleared, crops, cattle, a little log cabin. Oh, James, at last. And a family of strong boys to keep it up. William, hush. The homestead of our very own. Except it wasn't. The Donnellys were squatters. The land they cultivated and built their home on didn't belong to them. The area they settled in Bedolph Township on the outskirts of London, Ontario, was informally called the Roman Line. Well, because of the high concentration of Roman Catholic Irish immigrants who settled there. For almost 10 years, the Donnelly squatting wasn't an issue. The absentee landlord didn't pay any attention to the Donnellys. And during that time, Johanna gave birth to six sons, William, John, Patrick, Michael, Robert, and Thomas. And a daughter, Jenny. Finally... The trouble started when John Grace, the absentee landlord, leased the plot of land where the Donnellys were squatting to a new tenant. Around 1856, James Farrell, now the rightful tenant, arrived in Ontario from Ireland. But he was surprised to find his land already inhabited. Father, there's a man here to see you. What on God's green earth is this? You're not supposed to be here. And yet here we are. Well, you have to leave. And where is it you're suggesting I go? Well, that's not my problem. Get off my land. Your land? Was it you who cleared acres and acres of brush? Was it you who planted crops and harvested them for the last 10 seasons? Was it you who built a house with his bare hands and raised a family in that house? Oh, you call that log shack a house? I call it my house. I'll have you evicted. I'll get a court order. Get your court order. I'll have no man take from me what's mine just by waving a bit of paper in my face. Hit him, Dad! Farrell did get a court order, filed by his landlord, James Grace. A writ of summons and ejectment for John Grace of the City Township of London in the county of Middlesex against James Donnelly of the township of Bidolph in the county of Huron to recover possession of... But, as is often the case for people who find themselves in trouble with the law, James Donnelly was no stranger to legal proceedings. Your Honor, give me a chance to stay in the land my family and I have worked so hard to turn into our home. Hmm. Considering the improvements you've made to the property, a judge ordered Grace to sell Donnelly his portion of the land for 50 pounds. 50? Your Honor, it's worth 200. Why should I have to pay anything at all? Neither party was happy with the judge's compromise. Still, the Donnellys were there to stay. But that didn't sit well with some of their neighbors. The judge's decision exacerbated a lot of resentment in Bedolph Township. And these weren't the kind of people who let go of a grudge. Even in the 1850s, bitterness between rival Irish Catholic communities had been the cause for fighting for hundreds of years. In 
1649, Oliver Cromwell, an English Protestant, led a military campaign to seize and occupy Ireland. The result was the hated penal laws, regulations that subjected Catholics in Ireland to special taxes, confiscated their lands, and prohibited them from holding public office. 18th century political philosopher Edmund Burke called the penal laws a machine of wise and elaborate contrivance, as well fitted for the oppression, impoverishment, and degradation of a people, and the debasement in them of human nature itself, as ever proceeded from the perverted ingenuity of man. By the 1850s, some Irish Catholics, like the Donnellys, wanted to put the past behind them and live peacefully with their Protestant neighbors. This group was called the Blackfeet. Well, that might be where the black in the name Black Donnellys comes from. But there were others who refused to live in peace with the English Protestants and believed that Catholics who did were traitors to the Catholic cause, and so were even worse than the Protestant oppressors. In Badolf Township, this group was calling themselves the white boys. And if they didn't like you... <laughs> property damage, attacks on livestock, robbery, kidnapping, they were all common. One of their signature punishments was to throw a victim over the back of a horse, ride into the middle of the countryside, and bury him up to his neck. No! No! And slice off his ears. Bidolf's Irish population was about evenly split between Blackfeet and white boys. And even though the Blackfeet were willing to live alongside the Protestants, well, they weren't exactly pacifists. Which meant that there was plenty of bitterness and revenge to go around. Donnelly, I suppose you know something about why my mare's throat was slit in her paddock. I suppose you know something about why the constable and his gang rode over my crops. Now get out of here. James, you know the trouble with the drink. It makes you shoot at the neighbors. Yeah, the trouble with the drink is it makes me miss. Despite the feuds and rivalries, to survive in rural Ontario in the 1850s, you had to rely on the community. One custom was called a bee, a gathering where families and neighbors would get together to accomplish some task. There were barn-raising bees, quilting bees, but they always had one thing in common. Lots of drinking. And it was at a logging bee in 1857 that the Donnelly's feud with their neighbors took a deadly turn. Your barn burned down, did it, Farrell? You got some nerve showing your face here. Is that supposed to be an accusation? It is. I know you did it. You're nothing but a five and a half foot pile of pig's manure, Donnelly. Brave words to say to a man holding a hand spike. Well, a hand spike isn't exactly what it sounds like. It's more like a big wooden crowbar. We don't know who started the fight, but by the end of it... I think you are. Patrick Farrell was dead, and James Donnelly had killed him. We'll return to our story in just a moment. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, gift mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. And now back to the story. James Donnelly was a wanted man. But he wasn't the type to go down without a fight. And neither was his wife, Johanna. Is it another obscenity charge you've come to lay on me, Constable Carroll? Where's your husband? We got a warrant for his arrest. If I knew, do you think I'd tell you? Stupid lout. Search the house. Was Johanna Donnelly helping her murdering fugitive husband evade the law and live life on the lamb? Of course she was. <laughs> Neighbors reported seeing Johanna Donnelly working the fields with a, quote, female relative. Look at the sight of you in my old bonnet and house dress. Hush, woman. These crops aren't going to harvest themselves. <laughs> While James was in hiding, Johanna Donnelly had been raising her boys to be fighters. No son of mine is going to be some shrinking violet. Let's see you put up your hands. That's it. Go for the eyes. Go for the groin. It's a fight, not a boxing match. Uh, My foot, Ma. William Donnelly, you'll get nowhere thinking the world is going to treat you any easier just because you were born with a club foot. It's going to be a hard life. you got to learn to hit twice as hard. That's it. That's it. While Johanna Donnelly was raising the children, James spent a whole year living in the woods near the family farm, hiding from the law. But that meant surviving the Ontario winter. I brought you some soup. Oh, thank you, my love. Maybe you should sleep in the barn tonight. It's freezing cold out. No. Too risky. I won't put you and the children in danger. How are they? Wild Goose never raised a tame gosling, Jim. They're turning out to be just like you. In fact, the Donnelly boys were turning out to be just like their father. Bidolf records show a number of civil and criminal complaints against the Donnelly boys while James was away. Tools went missing from other farms. Cattle were poisoned. But that doesn't mean that they were guilty. No. In fact, in most cases, if anything went wrong on a white boy's farm, a Blackfoot usually found himself blamed for it. And as a Blackfoot family with a well-established pattern of outrageous behavior, the Donnellys took plenty of blame from aggrieved white boys. 
And just as her husband had, Johanna quickly learned what she needed to know about the court system and how to put their case in front of a judge. Hmm. With their own special twist. The plaintiff may call his first witness. Your Honor, after receiving a number of threats against his home and property from, we believe, the Donnelly family, my client has decided not to pursue this matter for his own safety. From, we believe, the Donnelly family? So it's a baseless accusation on top of another baseless accusation. Where's your proof? We... I... I'll not be spoken to like that by the wife of a murdering fugitive. Order! Order! I thought not. I move for the case to be dismissed. Seeing that there are no witnesses, I have no choice but to deliver my verdict. Case dismissed! As the Donnelly survived their fair share of encounters with the law, Johanna began to reconsider James's prospects. I've been thinking. You can't spend another winter sleeping rough. I'll be fine, Joe. I've survived worse. They'll find you. The reward's up to $400. You planning on turning me in? Turn yourself in. The judge will be lenient. You'll get a lighter sentence. It'll mean time away from you and the children. It'll mean time later when you've paid your debt and are returned to us. <sighs> All right. We'll hire the best lawyer we can find. You'll come back to us, Jim, I promise. And so, 11 months after the death of Patrick Farrell, James Donnelly turned himself in. The trial was held in Godrich, Ontario, and the Donnellys did hire the best lawyer they could afford. But unfortunately... Has the jury reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find the defendant guilty. <gasps> James Donnelly was convicted of the murder of Patrick Farrell. And sentenced on May 14th, 1858. In light of the gruesome nature of the victim's death and the defendant's evasion of the law, I must apply the maximum penalty. No, no. I sentence you, James Donnelly, to be taken from the jail to the place of execution and there to be hanged from the neck until dead. No! May God have mercy on your soul. Johanna Donnelly wasn't going to let something like a death sentence take James away from her and her family. Free James Donnelly. Sign a petition. Donnelly? The one that bludgeoned Patrick Farrell? Twas hot blood and the drink is all. Farrell attacked my husband. It was self-defense. She asked the court for a reduced sentence. Your petitioner humbly prays that your excellency will be pleased to take her helpless condition into the merciful consideration of her husband's case, and that finding the offense was committed without malice or premeditation and in the heat of passion, your excellency will be graciously pleased to extend the clemency of the crown to the said James Donnelly by granting him a pardon. She didn't think he should serve any time at all. And apparently it paid off. A judge reduced James Donnelly's sentence to just seven years. Well, meanwhile, the Donnelly children were growing up, big and strong. Johanna donated a plot of land that became a school. While James was in prison, she made money to support the family by cleaning and catering events. And the children got a good education and, as they got older, settled into an honest living. <laughs> William, along with his brothers Michael... 
John and Tom started a stagecoach line. In the days when mail service was spotty, stagecoach lines were private couriers who would transport people and items along a specific route. This is going to Exeter fast as you can. There's a coach leaving first thing in the morning. And you can guarantee that it'll arrive safely? Trust me, nobody travels the Roman line safely except the Donnellys. Competition on the Roman line was fierce. And in the 1860s, competition wasn't only about who had the best prices. What's that up ahead? Looks like a roadblock. Hello, friend. What's going on here? Mail delivery for Flanagan and Crawley stage. We're making our way back from the city. Everybody out of the coach. Please, don't hurt us. This is Johnny the Bull's road. You'll pay for this. Will we? Take the coach. Let's go. So much for an honest business. And after James Donnelly was released from prison in 1865, they had plenty of opportunities to settle old scores. Boys, you remember Bill Feely, who testified against me? Let's go pay him a visit, too. But the Donnellys weren't the only ones fighting dirty in the stagecoach feuds. I'm finished with this crazy business. You want to buy me out? It's all yours. One competitor in particular, Patrick Flanagan, decided he was willing to take on the Donnellys. Afraid of the Donnellys, are you? Afraid ain't the word for it. They're madmen. Are they? In 1874, Flanagan bought out the Hackshaw Stagecoach Company and started undercutting the Donnelly line running his own delivery service along the Donnelly's established route. Needless to say, the Donnelly's weren't going to let Flanagan get away with threatening their business. Can you pick the lock? (laughs) Can I pick the lock? Let's go. We'll show Flanagan what happens when he undercuts the Donnelly's. Get out of here! The Donnelly boys were as willing to fight dirty as their dad had been. Which didn't earn them many friends. Let's come to order. They burned down my barn. It's the last straw. What are we going to do, Father Conley? It's time we took matters into our own hands. A society, a peace society, to protect our property and livelihood from the criminal Blackfoot rogues. God! Here's the document. We, the undersigned Roman Catholics of St. Patrick's of Bidolf, solemnly pledge ourselves to aid our spiritual advisor and parish priest in the discovery and putting down of crime in our mission. Sign and we'll bring back law and order once and for all. And let me say this as well, before God and all you upstanding men, all those who decline to join this society I will consider to be backsliders and sympathizers of the gang which is the cause of depredations in the community. And let me caution you that if any of those backsliders and sympathizers take sick, they are not to send for me. Let them send for the leader of that gang, of a cripple, to administer to them. Yeah! In case you're wondering, that cripple was William Donnelly. And he didn't plan on signing the pledge nor did any of the members of his family. Which meant that it wasn't long before the neighbors started ganging up on them. 
Wake up! The white boys are coming! Grab what you can. We'll be ready for them. Donnelly's! Come out now! You're outnumbered. There's three of us for each of you. You're finished causing problems for the rest of us. You hear? We hear you. But we happen to disagree. Don't we, lads? The Donnellys managed to win the fight. But there was a bigger battle looming on the horizon. The Bidulf Peace Society kept gathering to air its grievances against the Donnellys. The details of what happened on the night of February 3rd, 1880, became the subject of many hours of court testimony. We'll get more into that in part two. But most of what we know about the Black Donnelly Massacre comes from Johnny O'Connor, a young farmhand who is spending the night in the Donnelly home. Wake up! Wake up, boy! Give me my coat. Hey, hey, that's my pillow. Why is the constable here? I'd like to know the same thing. Well? Why do you think, Donnelly? Another charge, of course. And what is it this time? More phony charges of stealing an ancient milk cow? Come now, Bridget. Help me with the fire. Aye, Auntie. Also staying in the Donnelly home that night was Bridget Donnelly, a niece who was only 21 years old. And Tom Donnelly, who was living in his parents' cabin. Hey, let go of me. You can't put me in handcuffs. I haven't done anything. Ah, you've done plenty. He thinks he's smart. Dad, make him show you a warrant. Let's see it, Carol. So that's how you want this to go, is it? What happened next would go down as some of the most brutal murders in Canadian history. It was pandemonium. Twenty men armed with clubs and metal spades burst through the door and attacked the Donnelly family in their own home. You finally get what you deserve, Donnelly. Joe, run! He ran outside! Chase him! He won't get far in those shackles. Tom Donnelly ran out of the cabin, but was caught and dragged back inside. Now hit that fellow on the head and break his skull open! Johanna and Bridget ran upstairs to hide. Are you all right, dear? I don't know. What's going on? Shh, shut the door. Oh, wait, let me in. I hear them. There's more of them upstairs. I, uh, oh no. Open up, or we'll break down the door. Break it. If you kill me, I'll have no need for a door. Johanna and Bridget were killed as well. What about the boy? He's here somewhere. Let's see if a little coal oil will flush him out. Light it up. Everyone, let's get out of here. Shouldn't we make sure the boy is dead? We don't want any witnesses. Let him burn. After all, we still got some more work to do. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
And now, back to our story. After years of conflict with his community, James Donnelly had finally gotten his comeuppance. Armed attackers had broken into his house, killed him, his wife, his son Thomas, his niece Bridget, and set his house ablaze in a vigilante attack led by the local constable, spurred on by the parish priest, and carried out by a drunken mob wielding torches and pitchforks. Four people were brutally murdered. But that bloody night wasn't over yet. What about the rest of them, constable? You mean that cripple William Donnelly? He won't go down without a fight. I'm sure once he hears his father's house is on fire, his priorities will shift. Johanna and James's son William had built a cabin of his own nearby. But the ambushers didn't realize William Donnelly was living there with his wife Nora and his brother John. Fire! Fire! Come quickly! You hear that, Will? Dad's house! Let's go! No, your foot! I'll go check on it. I hit him! He's dead! The attackers figured they'd kill William Donnelly and dispersed. But it was his older brother, John Donnelly, who they'd shot, and he still had life in him. For now. Bill, I'm shot! You'll be all right. We'll find the ones who did this. But John didn't make it through the night. On the next morning, the Badolf papers described the crime scene as the Lucan Horror. The Donnelly house was burned to ashes. James and Johanna Donnelly were dead. And so were their sons, Thomas and John. And a niece, Bridget, a victim of circumstance who didn't even have anything to do with the years of fighting the Donnellys had been involved with. The reaction to the death says a lot about the Bidolph Township and its politics. The Globe, an Ontario-based paper, wrote, Lucan awoke this morning to shock the country with intelligence of the blackest crime ever committed in the Dominion. The crime consisted of the murder, or rather butchery, of a family of five, father, mother, two brothers, and a girl. The victims were named Donnelly, a family that has lived in the neighborhood for upwards of 30 years. But the St. Mary's Argus, another local paper, reported, While every person regrets that so foul a deed was perpetrated, no one regrets that the community is rid of most of a family who have made themselves a terror to the part of the country in which they resided. The Donnellys were desperados of the worst type, and their neighbors were afraid to witness against them, and no magistrate had backbone enough to convict them. And while we regret exceedingly that such an atrocious murder was committed in our neighborhood, yet the people of the township of Bedolph will breathe freer. Well, so much for innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> True. The town was enraged. There were plenty of people who were convinced that the Donnellys deserved their gruesome end. William had to notify the authorities and sign death certificates for both his parents, two of his brothers, and his cousin. Skulking bastards. I'll live to see the whole thing through. But there's a loose end that we're forgetting. What about the boy? He's here somewhere. Let's see if a little coal oil will flush him out. Light it up. Johnny O'Connor. The farmhand who hid under the Donnelly's bed and, miraculously, escaped from the fire unharmed. He saw the whole thing. Constable, I'd like to testify. Of course, Johnny. Come this way to speak to the magistrate. So, 
We've got five people killed in the most gruesome public manner possible. An entire society of vigilantes who pledged to attack the victims. A police officer on site the night of the crime. And an eyewitness who saw the whole thing happen. What's this doing on unsolved murders? Well, because despite the two trials, no one was ever convicted of the Black Donnelly murders. No one? No one. And we'll be talking about that and what happened to the rest of the family in part two of Unsolved Murders. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on Facebook or Twitter at Parcast Network. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. And next Tuesday, we'll continue our investigation into the Black Donnelly Massacre. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Carrie Murphy. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by Harry Nangle and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, Nick Masu, Manu Narayan, Steve Pinto, and Cooper Shaw.